This is an ABC podcast. Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander listeners are advised that the following program contains the names and voices of those who have passed. Welcome to Speaking Out. Mainly discussing land rights and economic empowerment. Aboriginal enterprises in mining, exploration. I'd just like to talk a little bit about uh, Indigenous constitutional recognition. With Larissa Berendt. It's a fresh view coming on ABC Radio. I hope that, you know, that we all heal and heal together as people, as a nation, and uh, come to a better understanding of one another. Uh, and it takes us getting off our backsides and meeting people and talking to them. And there's some angry people out there, black, white and brindle, but we've got to yeah, look past that and uh, get closer to the ones that want to to come together, to want to heal, past wounds and forge ahead and write a new story for this country and we can all be authors of that new story. Celebrating the life of Uncle Archie Roach, this is Speaking Out, I'm Larissa Berendt. Earlier this year we saw the sad passing of Aboriginal songwriter, artist and activist Uncle Archie Roach. Archie Agundachmara and Bunjalung Elder was born in the mid-1950s, removed from his parents and sent to live with a foster family at the age of four. After two unpleasant placements in foster care, Archie was eventually fostered by a family of Scottish immigrants in Melbourne. Following the death of his birth mother, Uncle Archie fell into a life of addiction and petty crime, and music was his way out. In 1990, his song Took the Children Away brought attention to the impact of the removal of Indigenous children from their families, becoming an anthem for the stolen generations. There are few Australian voices in the debate on social justice and Indigenous welfare that resonated as strongly as Archie Roach's. In 2000, he was awarded a Human Rights Achievement Award and in 2015, he was made a member of the Order of Australia for his services to music and social justice. In November 2019, Uncle Archie sat down with ABC journalist, producer and presenter Daniel Browning to celebrate the release of his memoir, Tell Me Why. In a moving conversation, Uncle Archie would reflect on the influence of his foster family and the crushing letter he received as a schoolboy that sent him on a course to find his true identity. Archie, thank you for writing this book. And in the prologue, there's a note that gets delivered to you when you're at school in Lilyfield in outer Melbourne, 1970, and it triggers much of what happens in the story, your life story. And it's a letter from one of your sisters, Myrtle. And the return address? Um, one Toxteth Road, Glebe. Yeah. Number one Toxteth Road, Glebe. One Toxteth Road, Glebe, yeah. It's not too far from where we sit. That's right, it's up the road. Across the park. Yeah. And what's it like being back here? Because you know these, these streets. You lived here, spent a lot of time in Belmore Park. You know these streets very well. It's a little um, surreal actually being here at this very moment when we're talking about a book, this book, memoir, and then the, the letter I received from, from my sister Myrtle uh, with the return address being just up the road. It's really, 
Yeah, it's, uh, it's peculiar, it's odd feeling, yeah. Before you got that note, you weren't Archie Roach, you were some other person, you were... I was Archie Cox, used the name of my, my dear foster parents, Alex and Dulcie Cox, yeah. But you went to the office and you, you'd been summoned to the office, there was an, an Archibald Roach, or an Archie Roach had been asked for. Mm. And this letter was for this Archie Roach. Yeah. So you went to the office, you had a feeling. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, I had, um, you know, I'd been using Archie Cox for, I went to the Coxes when I was about, I don't know, uh, six or seven. And uh, I was about 14 uh, when that letter came to the high school, Lilydale. Lilydale High School. And, um, you know, when I said Archibald, William Roach, I knew my name was, full name was Archibald. Uh, and Roach, even though I'd been using Cox for a while, I, uh, Roach was uh, a name that sounded very familiar. Yeah, so I, I figured that it was for me. Yeah. And that story about the, the letter is where this memoir begins. It's the prologue. Mm. And you, you did that for a particular reason because that's the dawn of, of your understanding of, of your becoming Archie Roach, the man yes. you always were, the person you always were. That's right. That's right. It's, uh, it uh, set me off on this journey. Well, not straight away, but it had me questioning um, who I was and why was I in the, the predicament that I was in, uh, which I didn't think was a predicament. It was just uh, until that that I came. I, it certainly, um, yeah, it had me wondering and, and, and guessing as to who this person was that sent the letter and who I actually was. Yeah. I was going to ask you to read from the, the prologue. Did you want to do that or would you like to just talk about it? Oh, we, we could do it if we've got time, do you think? Oh, what do you reckon? <clears throat> <laughs> oh, here we go. Here's a uh, prologue. Lilydale, Melbourne, 1970. Sometimes you can go years without really changing as, as a person. Maybe you get a little rounder, a little uh, balder, but inside you're the same man, same values, same hopes, pretty much the same bloke. Sometimes though, you can all change in a day. In the morning, you have one life ahead of you, and in the afternoon, another. That happened to me once when I was a boy. I was in Mrs. Peter's English class, one of my favourites. Minding my own business, which was something I used to be very good at. Then that moment came through the rickety old speaker in the classroom. Could Archibald William Roach come to the office please? Archibald William Roach. 
Thank you. The message didn't, didn't, the message didn't mean much of anything to Mrs. Peters or the other children. There was, there was no Archibald William Roach at the school, but it had me squirming around in my seat like it was a stove. Archie Cox had been my name for as long as I could remember, or so I thought. I tried to go back to my work after the, me the message, but couldn't. My eyes glazed over, and all I could hear was that name, Archibald William Roach. Afterwards, something deep in me started to take over. This something had been in, in me pretty much as long as I could remember. It had tried to take over before, when I was alone in the bush, or when I was listening to certain sad and lovely music. It whispered in my ear, trying to tell me about another world and another life. I was usually good at ignoring those whispers, but on this day I couldn't. I wanted to stay in my seat and finish my day, live Archie Cox's life. I think that message is for me, I said, standing. Mrs. Peters was a, a lovely old lady. She loved my writing, especially my poetry, and would encourage me to share my work in front of the class. But I would stumble through it, embarrassed. She saw, she saw something in me, though, in my love of words. She still had her Canadian accent, but had been living in Australia long enough to know something, something wasn't quite right. You'd better go then, she said. When I got to the office, the secretary asked if I was Archibald William Roach. I don't know why I knew that name was mine, but by then I knew it was. I told the secretary that that was, was me and she passed me a letter that seemed to vibrate in my hands. Across from the counter was a wooden bench for students awaiting punishment. And there I sat, staring at the envelope. The front read, Archibald William Roach, care of Lilydale High School, 25 Melbourne Avenue, Lilydale, Victoria. The boy I started the day was as would have handed the letter back and explained that he'd made a mistake. He would have said this letter wasn't for him and he would have gone back to his class, back to his schoolwork, back to his house, where his guitar and supper and parents were waiting for him. I took the letter out of the envelope and unfolded it. <clears throat> Dear brother, <clears throat> dear brother, <clears throat> dear brother, your dear old mum passed away a week ago. Her name was Nellie Austin and she had been living in Sylvan.
your other brothers and sisters, uh, Johnny, Alma, Lawrence, Gladys, and Diana. Your dad already, already passed away, and his name was Archie too. I thought it was time to get in touch with you. Love, Myrtle. The world started to spin with names and faces and thoughts and songs and feelings that were brand new and also old and familiar. I saw a dormitory packed with beds and black children. I saw two girls, big girls, bigger than me anyway. I saw their names, Gladys, Gladys and Diana. These were my sisters. It was also suddenly vivid. I flipped the envelope over and saw a return address. Myrtle Evans, one, Toxteth Road, Glebe, Sydney, New South Wales. I folded up the letter, tucked it into my school bag and dragged my feet to a classroom that was no longer mine. In Archie Cox's favourite class, I stared past his essay and thought of my dead mother. I thought about my father too, also dead. I thought of the brothers and sisters I knew nothing of and about my name. I thought about Toxteth Road, Glebe, Sydney. Is everything all right, Archie? Mrs. Mrs. Peter asked quietly. It took me a little while to reply. I'm not sure. I reckon that was the last thing Archie Cox ever said. Thank you. I know that that wasn't easy, but there's many, many things in this memoir that aren't easy. And in, in writing a story uh, like this, your life story, mm. you've had to confront a whole, like there's a lot of, there's a, an immense amount of joy and, yeah. and pleasure and you find it in the oddest places, Archie, but you do have to confront some very hard things. That's right. And it also involved for you, you know, a search in the archives. But how did you get, how did you get through? How did you navigate that process? Um, what gets through the process of? Of just confronting, you know, on a daily basis when you're sitting there at the computer. It was, um, it wasn't easy. It was hard to, 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 to realise that, um, especially reading some of the files, from the, when they came through the free, Freedom of Information. Um, and realising that total strangers um, uh, had control or, you know, uh, 
determined where I should live, who I should be with. Uh, and uh, just not to, to, you know, I was secluded. I was secluded from, from Aboriginal people. There was no other Aboriginal people than where I was sent and where I, I lived. And so uh, there was nobody else I could c- compare mm. myself to or with. So I just, uh, so it was, it, it took me back to those times and it took me back to the time when I, I, I just thought I was just like, because I lived in the place where, with the Coxes, my, my, my foster parents, it was uh, a lot of new, new Australians, we used to call them back then, new Australians. <laughs> and uh, some people call them refugees today. But they were new Australians, Italian, Greek, Dutch, all sorts of people that became the workforce. And that, that built a lot of the, the cities and or, or, or worked and uh, so you know I was a bit darker than a lot of the Greek and Italian kids and that just seemed normal so you know confronting that that past when when I was first you know I took a friend home and and, and he wondered why my, my my parents were white and I was black and. I didn't realise I was black. And so it, it brought up all those, those memories and I was taken right back. But, but yeah, uh, to get through, to navigate you know, through that process of, of writing or getting the book, the memoir through, was, uh, it was confronting, but it was also um, healing as well, yeah. There is a searching and a, a question and a quest to understand why that's at the heart of this memoir. And I think you actually answer it for yourself um, through searching your soul. Um, but can you tell me about the title, Tell Me Why? Well, it's, it's, a, it's a song I originally, I originally wrote uh, first about my mother and father. Uh, Nellie Austin and, and old Archie Roach. Um, and, uh, yeah, when we were taken away as children, I'm sure they had a, had a great love for each other in the beginning. And, uh, and, but uh, when we were taken away as children, they, uh, I don't know, they just seemed to drift apart. It was like, uh, yeah, the children were that were that glue that that that, that, that held everything together. Mm. And once we were gone, uh, yeah, that tie, that those binds, those ties that bind were, were, were severed, and uh, they went their own separate ways. So that was that was a song I wrote. Tell me why. And but it was a question. You know, that, that, that you ask and, you know, is it a, why, why did this happen? Why did people uh, do it in the first place and just uh, uh, control your life? And 
do you think that in, in writing this book that you've come to a, an understanding about? It's still, I think the question is still there. Tell me why. Yeah. Oh, it's, it's still there. It's, uh, I think, yeah, even today, but, you know, the, the need to be, be better, you know, consultation and the conversation uh, if kids are in, you know, uh, you sit down with with people and, uh, you know, go through community first. And, um, but, you know, I, I really don't believe that there was a reason to take us away at the time, even though they put it down in the files that there, that there was. Uh, Those files, they lie, they tell official lies. Yeah, it's a lot, it's like, um, you know, they really didn't, didn't know. And we were living in we were living in, in, in houses, well, humpies. We were living in in, in, in uh, places that were built of corrugated iron and hessian bags and dirt floor. And uh, that wasn't our fault. That's all we all we had to build a, a house out of. And uh, you know, but so they. I don't know. They reckon mum used to sweep the floor every day, you know? And it was so clean. It was the cleanest dirt floor you'd ever seen. <laughs> and, uh, you know, it was hard. She swept it that much, you know? It's hard. It had crust on it. And, you know, she, you know, she said, what are you sweeping a dirt floor for? And she says, it's got to be cleaned, you know? You can't sleep on a dirty dirt floor. <laughs> and uh, that was the pride people had in a modest little humpy. Yet people didn't, didn't think it was good enough for, for us kids. And, you know, we probably shared one mattress, you know, seven children. Yeah, maybe me being the baby, you know, maybe my step with mum and dad, I don't know. But that's the way things were. You know, and uh, it might not have been good enough for other people, but it was good enough for us. And we talk about standards, and you know, the highest standards we we lived up to, uh, according to what we could afford. And. Uh, Sorry, I'm, I'm not quite... I'm carrying on. No, oh, I, I love it when you carry on. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. That's why we're all here. Yeah. <laughs> they called you Butterboy. Butterboy, yeah. You discovered, you discovered this years later when you met your brothers and sisters. What they, why did they call you Butterboy? There's an album looking for Butterboy, but why did they call you Butterboy? Well, I... I think about it, and I thought it was, I got into the butter one time, but we, we didn't have butter. <laughs> you know, so it might have been the, 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 the dripping or the, or the fat or the lard. But I covered myself in head, from head to toe in it. <laughs> and uh, I sat there, I don't know, maybe it was the way I was sitting on the floor and said, oh, it looks like a little butter. Looks like a little butter boy. I think they were trying to say Buddha boy. <laughs> He looked like a little butter boy. <laughs> and uh, I'm not sure, but they all called me butter boy. 
my first sister I met, which was in Myrtle, unfortunately, in Sydney, here. just up the road too, just down, just up Broadway a bit and down George Street, the old Haymarket area, with the pubs down there. Called me brother boy the first time. And uh, Lawrence, my brother, when I met him, it was brother boy. <laughs> so um, they just knew me as brother boy. Yeah. It was either Archie or brother boy. Yeah. You're listening to Speaking Out. It just comes down to showing, sharing, you know, respecting. The world from an Indigenous perspective on ABC Radio. This is Speaking Out on ABC Radio, Radio National, Radio Australia on podcast and the ABC Listen app. I'm Larissa Berendt and if you like what you're hearing, why not rate us on your app and that way other people can find us and hear our stories as well. The passing of Aboriginal singer-songwriter Uncle Archie Roach in August this year hit the Indigenous community hard. Many observe the irony that during a period when significant progress is being made on developing a voice to Parliament, we lost one of our greatest voices. In November 2019, Uncle Archie sat down with ABC journalist, producer and presenter Daniel Browning to celebrate the release of his memoir, Tell Me Why. Tell me about, well, I just want to say, there's a, there's a, in the back of the memoir are some records, records that you've obtained, some through Freedom of Information, your, 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 own, your files, your ward files. Yeah. And there's some harrowing um, communication in, uh, documents in, in that collection. But there's one that's particularly wrenching, and that is a, um, a typewritten letter from your grandmother, Granny Sarah Roach. Great-grandmother. Great-grandmother. Yeah. Sent in 1940, what, Lawrence up there in northern New South Wales, yeah. your Bunjalung side. Yeah. What, what, is, what is being requested in that letter? Granny Sarah was about 90, I think, and the weather was getting cold. Winter was setting in. And... Uh, Poor Granny, she only had one blanket. So she, um, she asked the authorities, or the police actually, if they could get in touch with relevant people so she could get two more blankets, just so she could see the win- winter through. Yeah, I thought that was, yeah, I thought that was sad. Yeah. And we don't know, there's no postscript. We don't know if, grand, if grandmother, um, Granny Sarah Roach, ever got those extra blankets for that winter in 1940. No, we don't know. But I certainly, you know, I certainly hope that she did. I hope so too. Yeah. Now, you've written this book, and of course, over a long music career, we've had snippets of your story in your songs. Yeah. But you chose at this point now to write this, to, to write your life story. Why did you decide that this story needed to be written down sequentially rather than in a song or a, an album? <laughs> why did you want to write, why did you decide to write this memoir? I think it was uh, time and uh, of course Jill, Shelton, my manager, yeah, I thought it'd be, it was time that we, we sat down and, and, uh, and, and wrote a book, put it down 
in the book. Like I said, I tell stories and about you know, parts of my life. There was actually one thing that I, I was able to bring up in, in this book that I wasn't able to talk about on stage. And it was strange that, that uh, doing it, recounting stories and putting them down in the book, I, know, I found the strength or the capacity to, to be able to tell that story about the second family that I was with. And I always said from stage, I'm not ready to talk about the second foster family I was with. And uh, I remember saying that I don't know if I ever will be. Yet I found, I found that not so much easy, but I could do it uh, in this book. In fact, it's mum, Dulcie Cox, who writes something very prophetic about you in a letter to a social worker in 1962. She says this, I guess Archie will reach the top in whatever he chooses to do. Yeah. She had, a, she had faith in you. She did. And she always encouraged me to do whatever was to write, because I love to write uh, poetry, stories. Uh, and she always encouraged me in, 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 in anything. Well, everything that, that, I, that I did, or uh, I tried. Yeah, she's a great lady. What I can say about this book, Archie, is that when I read it, I had absolutely no doubt. I could hear your voice in my ear. It was like an audio book that you hadn't recorded uh, in my mind. And that's, what's, that's why I refer to this as, as an, the most authentic memoir I've ever read because I know that that's your voice. I know that's you talking to me. Um, and it's unfiltered. It's Archie, it's Archie Roach. Maybe it's because I know your voice so well, but it is one of the most authentic books I've ever read. Um, and I just wanted you to know that it, it resonates, that, that you do, that, that you really leap off every page. I'm not just saying that for the, like a blurb. Um, and I thought I knew about your life, having interviewed you a few times, but I, I, don't, I didn't know the half of it. Tell me, tell me though, about the first... There's a love story in this, in this memoir, of course, uh, an unforgettable love story. Can you tell me about the first time you saw Auntie Ruby Hunter and you were in the People's Palace there in Adelaide? Yeah, yeah, I'd, I'd end up in Adelaide um, after picking grapes in Mildura, Victoria. And... Um, I was uh, one old bloke um, put me up uh, or helped me get a, pla a place to stay at the People's Palace. Uh, People's Palace, they were places run by the Salvation Army. They used to acquire these grand hotels, old hotels, and, and uh, put people up in them that uh, didn't have any place to, you know, to live or... Uh, uh, for very little, you know. Uh, didn't have much income, low-income people. But anyway, uh, I remember yeah, staying in a room for a day or two and uh, drinking alcohol, as I did back then, uh, and getting the courage to, to go and meet the local Aboriginal people, the local blackfellas down in Adelaide.
And uh, I wouldn't use the lift because the lift was, it was one of them old, you know, because the old hotel had an old lift that you, you, you sort of go in and the, you have to, you know, close the door behind you and, and you could see everything working. <laughs> and it was rattly. And I just didn't like it at all. It was a scary, a scary lift. So, so I... Where are the stairs? Show yeah, me so the stairs. So I, I went down the stairs, yeah. And when I, when I, when I, uh, one morning I, I finished off a drink, flagging, and um, so I said, I think I'll meet the local, local uh, blackfellas today. And so I walked down the stairs, and as I got down to the bottom of the stairs in the foyer, I was just about to walk, walk out the door, and the lift opened, and three people got out. Uh, two older people, a man and a woman. And uh, this younger woman, you know, and, uh, she had a blue dress. I wanted to come just up to her knees or just a little bit above her knees. Uh, some white socks, um, black shoes, uh, a white cardigan. And um, big brown eyes. And uh, I thought she was rather pretty. And uh, I asked, I asked the, the man uh, that was part of her, that was with her, and, and the other woman, I asked him where, so where the local um, Aboriginal people, Blackfellas drink and, and hang out. And uh, before he could say anything, this girl, this younger woman, she just came to us, oh, she you want to know where the local black fellas hang out, do you? I go, uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, well, just follow me. So we did, and we walked down, walked out of the people's palace and ended up meeting the, the, local, the local people, yeah. You say it was like a movie. That was Ruby, Ruby Hunter. But it was like a movie it in the like song. It was like a movie yeah. in the song, yeah. yeah. First time I met Ruby, it was like a movie. <laughs> As I was walking down the stairs. Yeah. And this book is, we're running out of time, but we, we actually want to hear you, hear you sing. Oh. Um, Enough from me, but I do want to ask, I do want to just pose this question, and that is um, uh, that this memoir is full of something which I don't think I could manage, and that is forgiveness. There's a lot of forgiveness in, in yeah. this memoir. Yes. How did you turn that particular corner to be in a position where you had enough left emotionally and spiritually to forgive? There's some things... Uh yeah, just a lot of stuff that you won't forget. But um, you can forgive people. And it wasn't so much about um, forgiving them so that they could feel better. The forgiving part for me was uh, to forgive them so that I could feel better, 
so that I could heal. Because um, um, but it helped me, you know. Friends are good friends. Uh, music was a way to express myself and to to talk about things or to bring up things that were in the past I I get drunk and a negative way of of uh, of of dealing with it negative way of trying to process the pain and the, the trauma through alcohol and uh, getting the fights and and hurting yourself and trying to hurt other people is just no good so um, I found out after I stopped drinking and that that um, that, that certainly wasn't the way to go and uh, to be a bit kinder to myself and and uh, so yeah I, I, like I said in the first place Daniel it was about me getting better and healing the forgiveness part I couldn't hold on to that and uh, people you know I know that we know the place that uh, the road that's paved with good intentions leads you to but people thought that they were doing the right thing even though it wasn't and uh, so I I just let that go mm -hmm. I said fair enough uh, I can forgive you for that you misguided attempts at trying to you know uh, save the Aboriginal people from themselves and uh, there was an interesting thing though Daniel said uh, I just mentioned this there was a song I wrote about a young bloke by the name of Louis St. John Johnson who got murdered in, in Perth by, by, by a car load of uh, um, white boys because he was just because he was black but his adopted mother said to me he said we tried to save Louis from the misery of his people yet we couldn't save him from the misery of mine and I took that to heart and it has a lot to do with my forgiveness yeah there's something that's implicit in all your songs and that's hope you know, because if, and in this book as well, because in order to create what we are actually doing is we are, it's hope manifests, isn't it? It's like, yeah. I'm doing this because I have hope. Yes. So what do you hope for your, for your children, your grandchildren? And what do you hope for this country? Oh, I'm the best, you know, I hope that, you know, did it. That we all heal and heal together as people, as a nation, and uh, come to a better understanding 
of one another. Uh, and it takes us getting off our backsides and, and uh, meeting people and talking to them. And there's some angry people out there, black, white and brindle. But we've got to yeah, look past that and uh, get closer to the ones that want to, to come together, the one to heal past wounds, you know, and forge ahead and write a new story for this country. And we can all be authors of that new story uh, where, where we can uh, heal past wounds together. And uh, it'll take a little while, but we can start. Yeah, and that's what I hope for, <clears throat> for this country, for my grandchildren, my great-grandchildren, that they, they, uh, they're living you know, in, in the most beautiful country in, on this earth, Australia. The beautiful, it's a beautiful country, you know. And I believe that, you know, there's a lot of good and beautiful people that live in this country. And uh, we need to work towards achieving, you know, um, achieving that for our children, our grandchildren, so that they can, you know, look back at the past and, and think, why would they ever do that? You know, here we are all together. And uh, that's what I hope for anyway. That's what I have for a long time. And believe that we all come from a place that's not too different to the similar place. Our beginnings were, were the exact same place. Place of fire or fireplace. And some people left. Some people stayed. Mm -hmm. Some people came back to that place. And, uh, you know, if people realise, you know, retrace their footsteps and come back, you know, to, to a place of, uh, of fire where we, you know, understood where we was one people because all tribes spread out from one, yeah, yeah. who was leading that people, those people out from that place of fire, they became, belonged to that fellow's tribe or this fellow's tribe or that person's tribe. But they first come from the original tribe and that's all of us. That's what I hope people realise in this country. For my children, my grandchildren, and my great-grandchildren. Could you please join me in thanking Mr Archie Roach? That's Uncle Archie Roach speaking with ABC journalist, producer and presenter Daniel Browning.
that's the show for this week. Join us again next week as we pay tribute to another revered Aboriginal elder who sadly passed this year, the late Uncle Jack Charles. This episode of Speaking Out was produced by Jay McAllister and you can email the program speakingout at abc.net.au and find us on social media via ABC Indigenous. I'm Larissa Berendt. You've been listening to an ABC podcast. Discover more great ABC podcasts, live radio and exclusives on the ABC Listen app.